there. I'm David Kern. I'm Heidi White. I'm Sean Johnson. You are listening to Close Reads, a podcast for the incurable reader, on which we are discussing Daniel Nyeri's novel, Everything Sad is Untrue. We are discussing, well, to the end of the book. We're discussing the whole thing now. We've read all the way. We're completists. We've completed the book. And uh, now we're going to discuss it as a whole. Next week, that means we are going to be doing a Q&A episode. I've got something related to that that I need to ask you guys here in a minute. But first, Sean, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you today? Oh, Want to play uh, Shadow? I, <laughs> I see where this could go. I'm well, thank you. How are you today, Heidi? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. Nice. Shut it down. Thanks Period. for answering. <laughs> okay, so here's my question that I have for the Q&A thing. We got lots to talk about today. Lots of things to um, to, to bring up. Lots of things to discuss. But uh, next week's the Q&A. And um, Heidi, are you ready for some big news related to the Q&A? Yes, I am. I have no idea what you're about to say right now. This is I not a either. gag. There's not. They do not know that I'm about to say this. So He's eating a peach. I am so not. Cool. I'm eating a plum. Oh, sorry. Um, it's like Withy Window during snack time. <laughs> I'm very hungry. I haven't eaten much today. Came right from the shop to here. Anyway, Daniel Nairi is going to come on the Q&A. What? what? Oh, my gosh. I am going to fangirl. Just so, so you he, know. So he agreed to come up. We got to figure out scheduling, but he did agree. Oh, man. He wrote me, he wrote me back. He said, this is a literary he said, for me. He said, and I quote, I'm in, bro. Let's set up a time. Nice. Um. So he gave you the head nod and everything. I guess so. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. Here's the question, though. Graham and I were discussing this when I told him. Should we take questions from the audience as normal? Oh. And then I feel have like, him answer those? I feel or, like what I know what you're about to say. And then by the, uh-huh. when you say it, it's going to be that. Yeah. Should we have them ask questions for Daniel Nyeri and we are present for the conversation? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like yeah. I can't answer a question about a book in front of an author, especially right? an author whose work I hold in such high esteem as Daniel Nyeri. Coward. <laughs> All I mean, right. I'm, I'm, we're free to disagree with him after <laughs> yeah. he gets his answers, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> Once an author puts it in the public square, it belongs to the world. So, okay. Author but then, intent he, means nothing. Or we yeah. could do a separate episode with Daniel. I, I am up for whatever. This sounds great to me. I like trying to roll it into one. It's because you don't want to have to record another time. I just know. Um, I just don't think what what good is our Q&A episode going to be after we've had, you know, the genuine article. So do we so do we tell people, OK, Daniel Nary is coming. Mean, they're listening to this right now, but it's kind of inside baseball at this point. But do we say. Ask your questions for Daniel. And then we will present them to him and discuss them with him. Or do we say, ask your questions about the book as with any Q&A, and he will be included in our conversation? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, maybe say- <laughs> it could be a little bit of both, but you could ask them as you normally would, but keeping in mind the author himself will be available to speak to these questions. So you could okay. certainly be free to ask, ask questions we might not be able to answer on our own. No, well, well, that's maybe, we'll... maybe we can bring some questions to ask him. Yeah. Like I will have some questions at the ready. Okay. Yeah, I, I think perfect. you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Kind of yeah. Exactly. Okay. So then we... Can you ask him to bring Mr. Sheep Sheep? <laughs> uh, I will. 
I'll check in. I'll okay. check in on Mr. Sheep Sheep. I don't think Mr. Sheep Sheep can talk though, Heidi. So it's going to be. I just want to see him. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. You want us. Mr. Sheep Sheep to answer questions? Yeah. yeah. I I mean, of course I do. Right. Okay. Well, I will talk to him, and we'll we'll figure all that out. But okay. Um. Yeah. He agreed to come on. So what we'll do is when you when you post questions in the thread. Keep in mind that Daniel Larry will be there. So if you if you want it, you can still ask a question directed at one of us about something we say that often happens. Like Heidi, you said, uh, defend yourself, or Sean, right. you said, why are you Throw so us dumb? A bone. Bring so us forth. into yeah. this conversation, <laughs> or please. You can ask questions for Daniel. Um, and either way, I think he's going to have a great time. He's going to be game for whatever. If you ever listen to his conversations with us on Withy Window, you know he's up up for up for whatever. Uh, okay, so there's that. Um, so just be ready for that thread to go up sometime after, right around the time you've heard you're, you're listening to this episode. Before we get into the rest of the show, we have, we have a sponsor for this episode. It involves Heidi White in a way because uh-huh. it's being sponsored. This episode is by the Circe Institute's 2023 Atrium program. And I believe, Heidi, you are, uh, you're a part of this. So if, you, if you're listening to this, Sean, let's imagine that you are interested in exploring the foundations mm. of classical education with yes. a dynamic online community. The Circe Atrium is a one-year now. program that explores the foundations of Christian classical education with online classes and discussions. It features five different courses. So Sean, you would get to pick one of these if you are yeah. such a person who would be interested in yeah. these things, which in a, in a, I could see this happening. I could see you being interested in any of these things. Sure. Okay. So you can choose one or any or multiple of these. Uh, what are my doing, choices? Can you Heidi, tell me? Heidi's doing one on Shakespeare. Oh. Unless they got the copy wrong here. No, Heidi, it is. This you is can confirm that? Confirm. Confirm. It's okay. going to be on Shakespeare. It's my second year in a row of doing it. I've got some returning people and some new people. And it's just been such a delightful yes. conversation. So, so I, I would one love to have Bacon. more close, reads, close readers Quit on it. there with me. Quit it. Sean, what's wrong? <laughs> I'm doing one you on know. Shakespeare. From William Bacon. Shakespeare. Okay. Uh, Tanya Ros- Roselle is doing one on Norms and Nobility, which that is an amazing mm-hmm. book, but is challenging. Yeah. And so if you ever wanted to, nice to discuss that along with friends, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Hayes is doing one on Plato's Dialogue. Mark is one of just the nicest people you'll ever meet. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Salt of the Earth is sharp one cookie. of those. It applies to him. Yeah. yeah. He's a salty, sharp cookie. Um, yeah, Jonathan like, Council, like, who I have been to yeah, football games bread. with, is doing one on The Great Ideas. Um, so that's, you know, that's a little more general than norms and nobility, but Jonathan is a great teacher and a a wonderful guy. You can talk sailing with him. He can talk about almost anything, but ask him about pirates and his encounters with them. Uh, and then last but not least, our friend, our mutual friend here on the show, Kristen Rudd is doing one on the divine comedy, which is a book she loves a great deal. And another book that is great to do along with friends. There's so many references in there and allusions and, uh, names, (laughs) <laughs> that it can be a little bit tricky. And so doing it with other there people is so many names. really fun. So these are done through exclusive live webinars. There's two of them a month and there's an online discussion forum. And through all of this, it offers uh, contemplation and collaboration and a place to linger in the depths of the Christian, tra- Christian classical tradition alongside like-minded fellow educators, people like Sean, for example. So they provide the digital platform. You bring the desire for wisdom and virtue and together that makes community. If you are interested in any of these, head over to circeinstitute.org slash atrium. And we'll put that link in the show notes as well. So the uh, the atrium is a great program. It's not as 
intensive as some other programs that you could do, but you still get to dig really deeply into some of the greatest works in uh, the Western tradition and into some of the, the great, the, the great most important ideas. And thanks to them for sponsoring this episode of Close Reads, making it possible for us to do this. Okay, um, let's discuss everything sad is untrue, since that is why we are here. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, no, I'm just kidding. Actually, before we do that, just a reminder, <laughs> we do have a few seats available left for our event in Atlanta. If you want to come, you can head to the Substack page and... And uh, there's there's a little bit of space available. And you we're gonna have a great time. Come. In fact, before oh, we started recording, since we're doing inside baseball, the four uh-huh. of us, David, Sean, Tim, and I, all got together and did a meeting to go through the the uh, the sessions. And we decided to do. I'm giving this away. You're giving um, away the. Yes, tell them what we're doing. The David. close reads fun time variety hour extravaganza. Yes. This is yeah, gonna be one of the so sessions fun. is going to be the Close Reads Fun Time Variety Hour Extravaganza. It's First an ever. interactive, fun session. We cannot wait. My you team's going to win. You fidget spinner. You will. Yeah, you're going to be. Right. Well, except Great. for the part where you, you're doing fidget spinners like throwing stars, that part of the competition, oh. you'll need your fidget spinners for. But Yeah, yeah um, so please come anyway. and join us. We We are so excited about this event. And if you if the finances are an issue for you, we do have a coupon code you can use on the Eventbrite. It's just All Souls, the words All Souls, which is the name of the church we're meeting in. And uh, do that all caps and you can save $35. So hopefully that helps a little bit. And tell them about you, the theme uh, really quick before we start talking. It's it's going to be... We're going to be talking about the themes of faith and home in Southern literature and Southern mm-hmm. culture. So there's going to be talks on duty and desire and the Catholic writer in the South, Christ haunted South. And we're going to, we're going to talk about, we're going to do some live uh, episode style panels. And then we're going to end the whole thing by, with a conversation, with a special live recording that you do yeah, not want to miss. Yeah. And well, you know, I'll just tell people, I'm just okay. going to tell people it's yeah. the episode where yeah. we choose the books for 2024. So yeah. we're going to record we're gonna the great live with you listeners this year at the and close my... reads conference, heading home on Southern literature, Southern short stories in Atlanta, the perfect place. We want you there. Right. Sign up today. If I can get the technology to work, I'm going to put my spreadsheet that I use on the screen so people can watch me in oh, process when we're doing the win. highlights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the highlights. Yeah. Um, so we're going to try that. Okay. You know what? Let's talk about everything sad is untrue, though, because Daniel Nairi is coming and we have to prepare ourselves. Holy cow. For, for the moment when he appears on the show. For about 10 minutes, I did think about just having him surprise you, both of you, and just having him appear on the screen. <laughs> but I couldn't figure out how to really do that eff- efficiently. Uh, that would have been cool. Um, but now I can okay. prepare a speech. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's going to be the longest episode in Close Reads history. <laughs> um, okay, so we're to the end of everything sad is untrue. Sean, this is your first time reading it, right? Yes, that's right. Um, degrees of satisfaction in your experience. I am... Uh, well, I was about to give an exuberant answer like, I am 100% satisfied. But then there's something in me that never wants to give a hundred because what if I encounter something even more satisfying that requires a higher number for satisfaction? It's like a four and a half uh, out of five stars. Yeah, yeah. I am ninety nine point nine percent satisfied. So satisfied. I'm so glad I read this book. So for you, I mean, it's probably different than most things you you read. Um, yeah, I, yeah, that's true. This is true. And so what makes it so satisfying as you get to the end? Is it just that there is um, a sense of hope at the end. 
is it that he um, wraps the, the writing wraps up in a really nice way? Is it that uh, it was finally over? You know, <laughs> uh, no, I'm sorry that it's over. I mean, it was so thoroughly enjoyable, even in the even in the miserable parts. But I think one of the things that's so satisfying, especially it, generally speaking, but especially given the kind of genre that this book fits into is the way I mean, he, he's such a brilliant architect all the way through but the way he he has uh, constructed the culmination and the conclusion and the way that he uses it to justify the the suffering throughout the book uh, because there are a lot of other books written for young people that talk about suffering that offer really stupid <laughs> answers or justifications for that suffering in the end. Uh, and uh, if it, if this book had ended like those books often end, uh, I would have been really upset and felt like the whole time was wasted uh, just to have somebody tell me, you know, now this will all be meaningful if you believe in yourself or, uh, become a strong person. Follow your heart, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. But it was such a such a beautiful the Disney princessification. Uh, yeah, that's right. Oh, Husserl's story. Yeah, that. Uh, and I mean, the the conclusion is that all things will come right, but you can't fix yourself by uh, sheer exercise of will. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. I never had any doubts about him, but uh, that's what makes it so satisfying. So Heidi, that's true, but also one of the big themes at the end of the book is the uh, the what's the word that he uses for his mother? Her, her unstoppable. strength, her unstoppableness, Ability. unstoppability. Yeah. 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 In the so, back of the, 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 the exactly, yeah. yeah. She doesn't give up. So on the one hand, what <laughs> Sean is saying is true, but on the other hand, his mother, in a way, becomes the hero of the story for her lack of giving up. So yeah. her strength of character is what gets them through all that. How does that jive with what Sean is saying about the theme and about? It's a not great question because I think Sean's right that the the ultimate resolution of the thing that makes everything sad come untrue is grace. Like it is faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, and um, and and that's that. That's what's woven through the story. Um, everything sad is untrue, and and we live in the already and the not yet, right? Um, there's there's no neat little bow, but there is yeah. a mother, right? There is his mother, the unstoppable, uh, the unstoppable woman who 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 caused and relieved his suffering, right? And um, and even in her causing, she was doing it for a, a greater reality. And I think that's the message of his mother as well. Um, is that she she is her in herself does she is unstoppable. She does have that strength of character. Uh she's also fallible and frail even within the story. Um in especially in her physicality and her marriage to Ray. Like there's a lot there that that 
there's a lot of gaps there, right? But mm. his love for her and his loyalty to her is heroic in the same way that she is heroic. And but all of that points to something beyond them. And I like what Sean is saying because so much of the message of this shallow, superficial um, message to young people um, in my generation and in this generation has been you could do it yourself right? Don't rely on anything beyond yourself. Rely only on yourself. And this book has a better message, a truer story, uh, which is I am also, I actually am insufficient, but but Christ is sufficient. So there is a bigger, a greater eternal reality, a story that we only see the threads of that someday will be a part of everything sad is untrue. It's I love that reference to Tolkien too, who tells a similar, if more epic tale. <laughs> go Go on. Yeah, I mean he he's a Tolkien fan, right? And it is that's the it is it is Sam who says, you know, will everything sad come untrue? And and in the midst of the darkest part of their quest. And and I think that um with with such a title and homage to Tolkien, he's Nair is telling a similar story, right? We find ourselves in this in this epic tale, this epic battle of good and evil. That's the real story of history, right? Not cause and effect, but good versus evil. And the the outcome is will be good, but we don't know how that's going to happen. And we only see a little picture, a little part of the story. And sometimes that story seems to lose its thread. But Nairi is is intentionally tracing that back to the larger story. Uh, yeah. And and so is Tolkien. And so he's in that way sense following in his footsteps and joining a conversation uh, through, through his story that puts him as yet another small piece of the puzzle of those of us who are choosing to see the ultimate story is going to be resolved in Christ, um, even though we don't, we don't yet know how. Hmm. Have I told you guys the story about the guy who, a customer at a bookstore who's Cuban. Tell us. And so he came to America when he was nine and he didn't speak English really. And his, he was telling me how his older sister, um, she came, she was a little older and she, you know, she, she came, was, she was almost just too old to really totally assimilate and got, you know, really missed home and never adapted English as her, first language and, and all that or her common language um and the way this man did that is by reading the hobbit under the cover of his flashlight in his room kind of like you know in this in, in like daniel nairi and uh he would he taught himself english that way he taught himself like he found uh comfort and joy and all that kind of stuff and i love the idea of um Daniel Nyeri and this man who this man is a boy reading the Hobbit and seeing or the Lord of the Rings and seeing Frodo say, I'll go though. I do not know the way, mm-hmm. um, you know, taking the ring into a place where he's, he's completely outmanned and outmaneuvered and doesn't belong, but there's a indefatigability about him that he, continues on. But one of the things that got me thinking about this is that Daniel Larry doesn't really have a Sam in this book. Mm-hmm. And, and his lack of like companionship, but longing for it, I think is where some of the saddest bits of this book are. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. 
For sure. I find that the most haunting in his relationship with his sister and the, mm-hmm. all of the, like the tenderness with which he tells the story, her story, her suffering, but also there seems to be an unmet longing in that relationship. At least that's what comes through to me. Yeah. Um, and that's haunting to me because I think that that that's a loss. At least that's how I'm reading it. That's where it comes that, through the most. There's that bit when the dad comes back and he's giving them a hug and it says that we don't we didn't touch each other. They so tried to get out of the hug as fast as possible. Yeah. Their relationship was one of the one of the consistently saddest elements of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, easily. I just bought her book, by the way, The ah. Ungrateful Refugee. Um nice. and I am looking forward to reading that. Was this Cuban guy the the fellow who owns the restaurant in town? No, okay. no. But that Isn't is that a good Cuban cu- restaurant. Yeah, across the okay, street. Yeah. yeah, it is oh, a good man, place. It is really good. Yeah. Um, what do we make of the father's appearance mm. at the end of the book? <laughs> because the book ends quickly after his appearance, mm-hmm. and yeah. it feels like it was kind of always building to that. I mean, in fact, he would say repeatedly, "My father eventually came," and then he he finally gets to it. But he doesn't give us more of his life, or much more of his life after his father's appearance. So, how do you like? How do you read that? Having read it, does it leave you wanting more? In a good sure. way? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think it's a one thing I respect about Nayeri so much in this book is that over and over again he lets the story be complicated. Right? He he's Shahrazad, like he's letting it be unresolved before the next night, right? And he talks about how she loses the thread sometimes because of her sleep deprivation, which I think <laughs> is brilliant. And um, so that visit is on the one hand redeeming, right? He is a beloved child, Daniel is, by his parents. The brokenness in his life is not because he isn't loved, but because that love can find no completion in the disjointed narrative of of the plot, so to speak, of his life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is redeeming both to his reputation at school, which matters a lot, uh, and to his own life, but it also creates problems that it doesn't solve, right? It is because of that that his mother is beaten again by Ray, um, and he watches his father walk away for a final time, and he knows he has this finality that this longing I have for a complete family is never going to happen. Um, and so there's another kind of grief that's created by the visit, but some of his grief is also resolved by it. And I think that that's true in our lives, right? Like nothing is unmixed uh, until the kingdom, like every, every, everything that comes along both assuages a grief and creates a new one. And that that's just part of being human. And that's why we need all these stories to tell ourselves in this larger story to understand or to, to know that these, that these threads are you know, being woven into. Um, but I think it was a fitting into the story because fathers and sons, like that is the fundamental, that that's a fundamental thing. And, and so that it needed, that needed to have some kind of moment of change, if not resolution. Yeah, so how do you feel I, about his father? I <laughs> feel ambivalent about him. I, I, yeah. Sean, yeah, especially I, I think coming I from do. you, Sean. I mean, this is a story I, I about fathers and sons. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, so it does seem like the. I'm just gonna. Have, I'll just come right out and say it. I 
this was the only part in the book where I cried. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I think there's also the the complication. I, I love the way you put it that everything you know assuages a grief and creates a new one. Uh, there is a point in this section where he realizes in a clearer way or a more complete way that, or he concludes in a more complete way that so much of what his father does is performative, uh, right? And the, 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 the baptism and the, like, the personal sermon uh, was just yeah. the cringiest uh, moment. But it's such a great example, right? He went through the entire show uh, and, you know, God help everyone involved as far as the theological implications go. But this this whole farce of uh, undergoing Christian baptism, oh, uh, which if his sister is to be believed, was just a just an act for the benefit of his son somehow or another. And uh, and then for his father to leave the picture shortly after that. And and similar similarly with his behavior at the water park, all right. Then leaves him meditating on how much of his father's love is simply performative, right? Because he does at the end of the day leave, uh, leave his family, leave the kids that he has uh, acted so exuberantly in love with for the last few days. Uh, and so uh, you know, Nayeri ends explicitly on that note of. Uh, confused sadness <laughs> and uh that's really that's really heartbreaking so it it undercuts even the even the warmth and affection and the you know excitement of the visit uh and it's such a roller coaster and he sets it up so well because you think he has this thinking that uh what this visit is going to reveal is that his dad is just a big fraud right uh, when he's walking into the classroom and it's becoming more and more apparent that he might not speak English at all. And you think this is just going to be another one of those super painfully awkward like, office episodes? <laughs> yeah, Scott's tots. Uh, yeah. And then he surprises everybody. And he makes he turns everybody into friends. And, uh, uh, you know, it's this glorious turnaround. Uh, but then even that is just lifting us up to be dashed later when uh, when he leaves. Which, of course, he's treated as an inevitability. Right. It's yeah. not like he, never, he ever really thought he was going to stay forever. Right. And ultimately, the book kind of climaxes not with him leaving. Well, it coincides with him leaving, but with the with Ray yeah. hitting his mom again and yeah. his sister standing up for herself and for them. And she yeah. has this heroic moment, which the book basically ends on, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating because it really doesn't give us much after that. It ends with them in the hotel room after that. We don't know what happened to Ray, what happened to the, to the mother. I mean, he has the afterward where he says, I'm 36 now and I have a child and I started writing this when I found out my grandfather died and things like that. But, um, it's, uh, it's interesting the way, like if this was a movie, I wonder would people be satisfied mm-hmm. with where it leaves them, with the stasis that it leaves them in. What do you think, Heidi? I, don't I mean, know. that's a different I, experience. I don't know. That's a really good question. Uh, so much of this book would be, I think, um, like untranslatable to film because so much of it is an interior experience, a a way of seeing. And, um, because to your point, Sean, there's, 
moments that can be interpreted only they can be interpreted positively only through forgiveness right Mm -hmm. like what his father did is it it's it wounds him forever and it's also but it is through the eyes of forgiveness that he can only through the eyes of forgiveness that he can be healed and that seems pretty untranslatable to a father abandoning his child on film right and and but one of the things i love about that moment with his dad his dad's return is is that he brings a mr sheep sheep because (laughs) that was such a a profoundly formative experience to have to leave this stuffed animal behind and to fail in his shepherding of the sheep right such a brilliant analogy like slow clap right he's (laughs) he he has all of this shame for all of the things that happened to him. And that's the thing about children, right? They never, when they're, when children are abused or abandoned, they don't think my parents are bad. They think I'm bad. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a, that's what happens to this boy in his psyche. And he's being forced to leave Mr. Sheep Sheep behind, which is like this representation of the innocence of his childhood. Like he is the sheep, but he sees himself as the shepherd and he sees himself as abandoning the sheep, right? But it is yeah. his father who who brings that back, who gives him back his childhood incoming, right? He gives him back a moment of innocence, a moment of being able to re- reconnect with his past self and see it differently. This time be able to keep that, to keep Mr. Sheep Sheep, even though he's been decapitated, right? It's this very profound. He's <laughs> been ripped, um, ripped open. Yes, like he's and yeah, exactly and 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 damaged, right? Wounded, but also returned at the same time, and that's complex. And that's one of those things that can only happen in a story that in which it converges towards these moments of grace. And I think this is. I think we as readers have the same choice Daniel does, which is to see this as a moment of grace or to see this as a moment of abandonment and to let it be complex, but to let it be redemptive at the same time without it being uncomplicated. Like even if we see it as redemptive, we have to see it as complicated. And and I think the the book continues to 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 leave us in this stasis structurally by by jumping mm-hmm. from one section to another um, and bringing these threads back together. And, all, and this kind of leaves us with them. And then we also bring our own stories and our own experiences to that. And that makes it even mm-hmm. more complicated. And that what is what I think is the greatness of this novel. There's a, Heidi, you and I talked about or, or enjoyed the, talking about the show succession yeah that's right and, different uh, kind of thing do not yeah, do yeah, not yeah expect very different yeah. i'm not recommending it but there is a line that we both like in that in the most recent season where the father says to his kids you're not serious people that's right which is ironic coming from him in some ways um because he's like a terrible person himself but mm. i suppose he is at least gripping with serious person. yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about how, in a way, Daniel's father is one of those people who you could say, you're not a serious person, mm-hmm. but he yeah. is, he's a char- he's like a charming person. He's the kind of person who, in the moment, he can make you feel like you're the only person in the room or like you're, you know, the president or something like that. But that's fleeting. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, he 
he leaves. We knew he was going to leave. We knew he couldn't stay. And he kind of, the book kind of glosses over why he can't come back. You know, something about politics and Iranians not being able to come to America and, and that's really, it's just his lack of seriousness in the sense of, you know, Aristotle talks about being a serious person in the sense of like, if you're a serious Cythera player, musical instrument player, this is the example he uses. That means that you care that you spend time with it. You make sacrifices for it. If you're a dilettante, then you kind of pick it up whenever you feel like it and then lay it aside again. And that's what it means to be a serious person, a person who's like, I care about being human. I care about being attentive to this journey of life. And you're right. I think his father has a, he's too easily led by himself and not what is required of him in terms of loving others, which is something Daniel's trying to be serious about and his mother is defined by her seriousness about sean we talked a little bit i mean i think you you kind of talked a little bit about your the way you grew up in the last episode or something like that so Mm, for you how does this i mean you well you said you cried but how does this (laughs) section hit you if i if, if you can permit me to ask uh you can ask. Post-read I don't know therapy. If I, <laughs> I don't know if I have anything particularly helpful uh, to offer, but it is. It is just. Uh, well, I, I don't know if I can say much more than I said already. It's that's just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I also have memories of being a little kid and asking myself those same kinds of questions. What What is it that makes you know your dad not want to be your dad? <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. but I think he. Well, it's just, again, it's just built so well. I mean, that's a, that's such a real and poignant moment and experience, uh, but it's not cheap and it's not wasted. Right? He, he gives us the, his, you know, essential, I mean, he, he talks in the, in the author's note afterwards about still uh, being in contact with his father, but in a real way, right? That's his father's departure from his life in, in an important sense, Uh but then it's followed up immediately by uh, the failure of this other surrogate father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, I mean, it's a. Uh, yeah. Ray's not better. <laughs> right. And, but I think this is, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to go on record on, on any level as being, you know, in support of Ray, but it was also brilliant the way he has Ray getting angry over the course of the visit. Mm. Uh, and I wonder, I imagine that in part, I mean, if you think about, uh, we've talked some about how how and why children who are abused act the way that they do. Uh, but there's also something wrong with Ray, right? <laughs> Ray's also a broken person uh, who's who's hurting other people as a result. Uh the failure and, of his father. Right. You you have, I'm not sure, yeah, you definitely have the failure of his father. Uh, but then he sees himself uh, upstaged as a father hmm. by this. By $100 worth of Twinkies. <laughs> by this fake father. Uh, it's just this Oklahoma tornado of hmm. father failure. Uh, it's so well, uh, it's so well done. One of the things I was thinking about is as he's crafting the story, there was times when I wanted to be more present in, in some of the scenes where like, I I wanted to see Ray 
vacillate between anger and like the anger building up so that when it implodes it it kind of is paying something off yeah and um i don't think it's a i I imagine he was doing that on purpose it's also a middle grade type novel so they're not going to get as in-depth into some of the psychology right but there is on the other hand we can i feel like maybe it's a limitation i feel like i could say that to daniel and then ask him hey can we talk about this um but i also wonder if he just did it because he that's how it is with kids like you have these vague impressions is and it's mm-hmm. like that why he doesn't give us more scenes it's like do you just kind of remember you don't remember the water boiling you remember it coming to, to a boil yeah yeah boiling over yeah 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 boiling over yeah <laughs> um and 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 the way we remember things is you know so impressionistic which hey that brings me to another question i want to talk about before we go and next week we'll have time to talk about plenty of things or at least let daniel talk about plenty of things now that we're to the end of the book i want to bring up something we brought up at the beginning heidi how do you read and think about this book when you come to the end as far as the notion of truth and fiction Mm. because we're talking about it you know we're talking about crafts as we talk about it, but we're also talking about him and and about these characters as real people, you know, which is a sign of of a book being well crafted. The characters are rich enough to to do that. But does it? Do you care? I don't know how to ask this. Do you care? I, I guess whether the way he told it is true or how much of it is true, and like whether the impressions are realistic. Um, no. I mean, I would like to know because I'm interested personally, right? I'd love to sit down and have coffee with my new friend, Daniel Nayeri. And, <laughs> and ask a, we'll see if you right, play your cards like, right, Heidi. Ask yeah. a bunch of questions yeah. that I haven't earned the right to ask, right? Because he's given me this story. Yeah. Um, and and I care about it like a lot. And I respect it a lot. But in terms of do I do I care in the sense of like a literary sense that that if if something he said wasn't said exactly that same way or if it's out of sequence or if it wasn't Jean Claude Van Damme they never watched those movies together or Dina never said this or whatever I don't care about that I think yeah. that um, it's he spent so much time earning in this story the idea of the stories we tell ourselves mm-hmm. and that the and the myth being a truer story that mm-hmm. i feel like he has the perfect right as an author and as a human being with this story to shape it and craft it towards the truer story mm-hmm. yeah and i take him at his word that none of it is a lie agreed yeah <laughs> uh which there's a lot of there's a lot of room inside that. But statement. would it bother you if it was? No, made up. Uh, well, so I don't. I think that's part of what he's saying in that note at the end. I don't think. I don't think some of it being made up and some of it being a lie are the same thing. Uh, I think I, I thought a lot as we were reading about uh, hagiography as a mm-hmm. genre, and um, right, we are. Granted, there's a there's a whole lot of uh, ridiculous business with, uh, and I hate to say the term, but fake news, right? There's 
there's a whole lot of disingenuous uh, news in the world now. But that aside, I think we're really hung up on a, a t- empirical journalistic method of transmitting facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a genre like hagiography really complicates that because uh, these are true stories about very serious and important topics, <laughs> holy people doing holy things. Uh, and yet they're not they're not written with what we would call journalistic uh, veracity. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe Saint Benedict didn't chase that devil off of that thing and then heal that other sick guy on the same day. <laughs> but when Saint Gregory is writing the biography of Saint Benedict, it's really it really is helpful if they happen on the same day in his narrative. Uh, and that doesn't make it a lie. Uh, there's something there's something else going on. There's a higher uh, higher order truth right at work. And I think we've we've touched on that uh, yeah already in our conversations. But I think uh, that's in my mind that's a good analogy for what's going on here. I Some agree. things are more true than facts. That's right. Yeah, and that's I also right. think when it's you're talking about someone's life, even on a psychological and individual level, they don't owe us everything. <laughs> Right. It's like once that story is given to us, it now belongs to us. And if there's things that need to that that he doesn't want to give to not. And I don't just mean Daniel Nyeri, because it's very brave to tell a story like this. And I think about my own story and think if I were to tell the whole truth as it was there, like, I don't know how honoring that would be to my own story and the people who've contributed to it. Right. But if I had the editorial uh, freedom to tell my story, but still be able to hold some things back, I think that would be more honoring to the truth even. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that psychologically matters a lot that we don't demand from an author, Hey, if you're going to tell the story of your life, it needs to be able to stand up under my scrutiny. That's not fair. Better match the Wikipedia page. And that's why he wrote a fictionalized memoir. Right. And that is important. In fact, I'm just listening right now to Wendell Berry's the need to be whole. And he says that directly in, in, and he's like, this is my story. And I'm going to share with you what I choose to share with you. It's all true, but I, it's it's true to the spirit of the story, but there's things I'm holding back because it's mine and it doesn't have to be also yours. Like it is, I, I can man it. I can control, right. The bound that those boundaries and that's appropriate for him to do. And I, I think that that's a really important thing that we have to keep in mind, not just go after people mm. um, uh, psychologically, as well as on that literary kind of mythological scale as well. It's interesting stuff to talk about mm-hmm. this meta stuff because it's kind of a story about storytelling in so many ways even like the sort of framing device that he's writing something for a teacher or writing it with the teacher's input along the way um she where she talks about you have to make sure that people are still interested (laughs) a good writer makes sure that people want to turn the page um don't don't narrate every move in the street fighter fight yeah exactly exactly (laughs) thank you by the way At the top of the person who doesn't want that. (laughs) Yeah, that's what Jack wants. Um, Yeah, exactly. So at the top of this episode, I asked Sean about 
his thoughts on this book, having read it for the first time. Heidi, this is your third or fourth time, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it your first time reading it? Yes. And your third time mm-hmm. experiencing yeah. it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes. okay. So yeah. it's your right. third time experiencing it. Um, so Sean's- I'd be interested... I'd be interested in when you answer David's question to comment a little more on the those two experiences as well, uh, because mm-hmm. I've heard so much about the, how great the audiobook is, and uh, um, I, I probably don't have the time to do it right now, but I'm hoping to listen to it eventually. Uh, so yeah, if you you got a bunch of southern southern stories you got to read. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So my question was basically just what what struck you anew or fresh this time and yeah i'd love to hear the for you what the difference of the experience was reading it versus listening to it now i'm sure you had daniel nairi's voice in your head a little bit because he reads the audiobook so Mm -hmm. yeah no it's a i just think that there are some books that stand up very very well to be being translated i like that word translated into an audiobook um and this is one of them for sure another one is the great passion which actually preferred as an audiobook and Uh, but this one, it just, it has such a conversational style and it was, I, what I, one thing I, that stood out to me listening to it the second time, um, and then comparing it to reading it is the pauses between sections. And I think that that stands up so well in an audiobook. Um, mm-hmm. like you can always tell this. What speed do you listen shift. to audiobooks at? I listen to it at a 1.0. I do not like fast audiobooks. No, no, I am not for that. I have a friend, my best friend listens to them on like 1.5 or 2.2 2 speed. And I just like, <laughs> that is too frantic for me. I'm already. I listen at 1.3. Person, no, uh uh-uh. I listen to it straight up. Um, but but that's because I'm constantly looking for peace in my frantic life. (laughs) (laughs) And chipmunks um, narrating all your books is not doing that for you. Doesn't sound Um, like chipmunks. Who does? (laughs) Um, Emily. Somebody said. (laughs) about David that he is unlistenable at oh, more than at 1.5 speed yeah, at which the made retreat. me laugh so hard <laughs> at the retreat somebody that said that great. yeah, yeah. That great. oh Sorry. man that is so great well it's you know you're, you're, you're quick you speak you speak quickly which is great because I'm trying to speak more quickly because I was reading reviews of the show which is good for my humility someone said I <laughs> don't spoke do that too qu- too slowly and it's annoying and so I'm trying don't to speak more quickly don't listen to um, reviews don't read reviews of the show never a well, good idea I did and now I'm speaking more quickly I wrote them all it's Heidi I wrote all of those yep. reviews all right well <laughs> I hope I am fixing this problem um anyway I like that I could hear the pauses between sections. I think that that is, was great. And in reading it, I, uh, I remembered listening to it and those pauses and how much they added to the meaning. And I think he did a great job of choosing when to shift back and forth between stories and create that juxtaposition, those dividing lines. And the, and, and that ended up, it's just so interesting in structuring a story like that because those fragments end up unifying the story by making such a sudden sudden shift because our minds are forced to create a connection um, when mm. one isn't given to us. And I think that that just was really great. Mm. Okay. Um, let's, let's do some final thoughts now. I've got a couple of questions, but I want to save them for when Daniel's here and for the Q and a. So I think let's use the last 10 minutes or so of this episode to, to turn to some final thoughts and, uh, and just, I guess this is your final chance to say something that Daniel Leary won't be in the room for. 
in the Zoom room for next time. So uh, save your criticisms for when he's in the room, is what I'm saying. No, I'll Sean, say them now so he never uh, hears them. Sean, why don't, Sean, why don't you go first? That'd be, or, or he's going to listen and then come up with all the criticisms that we've said and he's going to bring them to the episode and he's going to say, you accused me of being a bad chef in episode two. <laughs> we're going to be like, we would never. Um, no, that's we should. We should say, I don't even believe this guy can make cream puffs and he's got to make yeah, then he's got to prove, prove it. Wrong. Yeah. Exactly, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, Okay, like Sean. Pinkies. Well, what's your problem? <laughs> I received that. <laughs> uh, she, so she's I, willing to accept that. <laughs> the uh, this is not maybe at all what you were imagining. I was going to say, but I have a comment about the book itself. The phys- my physical copy of the book. Do either of you have a paperback? No, there. Are, I didn't know there was a paperback. I think it's out in paperback. Maybe not, but I think it uh, comes yeah, out yeah. in like a month. Okay, uh, then so it's not even a possibility for people to have a different book. I. I'm going to say this on the air and I will say it a thousand times in a thousand ways to a thousand people on a thousand days. This is exciting. I hate deckle edge. Oh, pages. It is the stupidest thing (laughs) ever. It is. I'm so excited. I've always wanted people to know the judgmental (laughs) side of Sean. This is happening. This is happening. And I'm working around to a compliment, but it's the All dumbest right. idea ever because it, it dates back to when pages were yep. uh, were glued. They're folded and glued yep. and and they were published and sold uncut. Yeah, and you'd so you'd have, cut your own. Yeah, you'd have your book knife there and you'd cut your own as you read the book. And so that it's, it creates this great opportunity in novels for people to uh Go like go into Jay Gatsby's library and see that all of the pages are uncut in all mm-hmm. of the books, right? Because he's got the books for the spine appeal, for the shelf appeal, but he doesn't read them. Uh, Probably all organized by color too. Yeah, that's oh, don't get me started on organizing your bookshelves by color. That's Please get him started. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna we're rolling now. Uh, but so now you get these books where they think, oh, you know what, people will really like if it's rustic. And uh, and if it looks like it's old, yeah, it it's old, and you cut the pages yourself. But by yourself, we mean Catherine Hepburn at ninety was cutting your pages for you, like with her shaky Parkinson's hand. Uh, <laughs> wait, I, wait, wait! I have some follow up <laughs> questions on this last comment. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Heidi. Go ahead, Heidi. Pause, Sean. What? Pause. Where did that what? come from, though? Is that a thing? Yeah. What do you mean? Is that a thing? The Catherine Hepburn comment. I miss. Oh, yeah. I don't get it. You know, did Catherine she have Parkinson? She and she had Parkinson's, and yeah. she was, you know, but she she worked for a long time. I yeah, love Catherine Hepburn. Can we talk about the like? Why did you pick her to cut our book pages? Well, he because does love Catherine no, Hepburn. The publishers, the publishers want it to look like that, right? Okay. They don't want they don't want it to look like someone with a steady hand was meticulously cutting all these pages open because that wouldn't be cool. And so they give us these stupid deckel edge pages that you can't flip through. You can't thumb through these books. This is my favorite part of the day. Uh, Yeah. Because you're basically flipping six, seven, eight, 10 pages at a time. Yeah, that's right. Six, seven, eight, 10. And some of those canyons are so deep 
Uh, there's a disparity between the length of the pages as they've been machine cut to look like they haven't been machine cut. I do need to but, apologize to anybody who's offended by jokes about Parkinson's or Catherine Hepburn. But okay, moving on. It's not a joke at her expense. I love Catherine Hepburn, and she's right. she worked. She was the hardest working uh, Parkinson's actress I've ever known. Uh, on Golden <laughs> Pond, one of her last movies, best movie. She's a remarkably anyway. brave woman, unstoppable. Yes, that's right, unstoppable. <laughs> Where are you uh, going with this? Okay, Go where on. I'm going is this. this I'm glad I saved the, your final thoughts for last. Yeah, this is the best. This is the best deckel edge uh, printing Job? I've ever seen. It's okay. just enough to let you know, hey, we're hip, and we got a little bit of the 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 rough edges on the page, but they're still almost the same length. You can still so flip much through. So, that you can pretty much still flip through and thumb to most any page, or at least uh, you're flipping, you're thumbing through two or three pages instead of eight or 11 or 12 pages. And uh, so all that to say, great job, LQ Publishing. You almost had your cake and ate it too. So I've got, I've got Daniel Aries book here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then on my desk, I have uh-huh. The Blazing World. It's a great oh book, boy. but it is poorly deckled. They did a deckel on a nonfiction book. Oh, they're doing the that a lot. Sweeping now. They, the nation. They do it a lot on history. Uh, hey, you know what I noticed? In England, not a lot of deckled edges, but also in England, not a lot of hardcovers. The whole publishing mm, industry is a little true. bit of a different approach. Because um, you I, can still take them to a bookbinder and they'll put some leather covers on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, this is actually, yeah, it's a heavy duty for a middle grade book. It's got a lot of um, structure to it. It's um, a great physical book. Even the glue job with the fake stitching yeah. that they put on books now, mm-hmm. it looks, it's a mm-hmm. little more, it's a little, little better done. Um, I am absolutely fascinated that you chose this to bring up as your final thought. Um, but I it also really, I also super wish that you had brought this up when Daniel was here because that would have been hilarious <laughs> for him to experience live. I do want to know. How much how much input do authors get on whether they're going to have these decal pages or not? Because yeah, David. How much input do up. authors get? Don't do it to Heidi's book. Don't do it. <laughs> Heidi? Well, I don't like decal edges like decal edges either. Um they're also a little more expensive in most cases. Um okay. And what do you get? Nothing. Paper cuts. Uh okay, yeah. Heidi Final thoughts. I have no final thoughts. I had one about the bowl, but it's like, I'm going to wait till next week. That ship is sailing. It's just a beautiful bookend. The the bowl of shame and the bowl of grace. And the river of blood. You can, that's right. you can, say, you can say it now. I just said it. I just said it. Yeah. That's, that's all. That's it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, this episode has been a journey. And we're just going to leave people in a, in a point of stasis. Uh, just like this book does, and we will be back next week can to we maybe get, resolve some questions with can all. Can we make uh, Sean Daniel. like a ranting poster? Like his poster could just be like a sh- like a like just a transcript of a Sean rant. It's just like it's it's seven hundred words just crammed onto. Yeah, just actually, like a picture of it. Two thousand. Yeah. Yeah, Sean, Sean, it's like it's like a Che Guevara poster with but it's Sean's <laughs> face, and then over it is just his rant like on decal edges of rants. Yeah, I yeah. want this. All right, yeah. I can see it in my head. All right, uh, I don't have that's my final, final. It's just this. That one. is not true. 
Okay. You just, it's just like, it we just comes up you, though. Like it just comes up and, and there's no rhyme or reason. You can't predict. Yeah. No, that's true. right. It's yeah. true. And he doesn't, you know, I don't think you always know what's going to trigger your. No, when the trigger, spirit moves, tr- it moves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Over the surface of the waters. Yeah. yeah. That's right. All right. Well, you know, that seems like as good a time as any to end this show. When the spirit moves, it moves over the surface of the waters. <laughs> uh, and if the spirit is moving you, um, please check out CerseInstitute.org slash Atrium to check to consider signing up for one of the Atrium programs there. Again, the options are Shakespeare with Heidi, Norms of Nobility with Tanya Roselle, Plato's Dialogues with Mark Hayes, The Great Ideas with Jonathan Council, and The Divine Comedy with Kristen Rudd. I think we can vouch for all those people they're they're great great teachers great people and you'll you'll have a great time yeah. uh studying alongside them don't forget there are still some seats left at the the event so if you go over to the closereads.substack.com you can sign up there take you to our event bright page and then you can use the code all souls to get $30.5 off and then last but not least let me just remind you the next book coming up we'll send out a schedule soon but the next book coming up is the picture of dorian gray sean are you on that episode I, there was, hmm, there, there was talk, there was, there was talk of some shuffle because I was originally not on these episodes. Right. And then, and then Tim, Tim requested I, a transfer. But it was like an NBA draft, like one now for an undisclosed uh, later. And, yeah. Right. Okay. So we got to figure out what the undisclosed draft pick is that's going to allow yeah, that's right. you and Tim to, maybe we should have, maybe we should just have be a Heidi solo show for a few weeks. Yeah. She can just do some solo rants on the picture of Dorian Gray. Well, uh, listen, yeah. Heidi, are you a Dorian Gray fan? Yeah, I like that book. Okay, okay. Bar I can't remember what everyone's. Yeah, there are there's some duty <laughs> and desire in there. Oh yeah, um, it's Oscar Wilde. It's very overwrought, but it's. I think it's great. <laughs> well, so that's our next book. As I said, schedule will be coming soon. But if you want to get started on that, by all means, uh, dig in. All right, Q and A next week with Zen and Larry. Can't wait. We'll post a thread. Go find that. Go post your questions post them either for us or for him or for all of us or whatever your heart desires or your duty demands uh so (laughs) for heidi white and for sean johnson i'm david kern until next time happy reading